Everybody doing well? Is everybody doing good? Isn't it just a beautiful, awesome day out? I, uh, yesterday was one of those just awesome days where we got up. We didn't really have a whole lot going on. We just rested in the morning. Just had kind of one of those days you might call a lazy day where there wasn't a whole lot on the calendar. Don't you love those days? You get up and, you know, there's nothing really seen there. And maybe some of you were busy, you had things going on, and I, I don't, I don't want to uh, make you feel bad that I got to have a lazy day, but it was wonderful. And we got up and, and um, you know, lazy days don't always necessarily mean that you're not doing something. It just means that you have a little bit more freedom to do some things. And uh, it seems weird, but we sort of just got up and we were watching some TV and having some breakfast, and along the way, um, you know, we said, oh, you know, we got a couple things we could do today. I've been meaning to clean out the gutters, and, you know, we'll go outside. And So I got up on the roof and, uh, you know, cleaned out all the gutters of all the seeds and all the stuff that had been falling. My trees have this weird thing where some years they don't do anything, and some years, man, they just drop every seed that you could possibly imagine. And I'm like, how is my yard not turning into an entire forest? I mean, these things were thick. They were everywhere, and so I'm, you know, cleaning those out, and then as we're doing that, we decide, you know, the hammock probably needs clean, so we're brushing that thing, cleaning it up, and it went from gray to white. That was kind of a cool uh, reality and experience to have, and um, but really kind of gross, actually, because I had laid in it a couple weeks ago, and I was like, man, I feel kind of itchy, like something's not right here. I, we need to clean that hammock. Something is not good here. And so we clean that thing out, and as we're doing that, and Maggie comes out, and she's like, you know, I think I'm going to go see a friend. She the friend. She came back. She said, you know what I really want to do? I, I want to wash the car. And I'm like, hey, go ahead. So I got the hose, you know, and they're trying to wash the car and clean it up. And I just sat there in that moment, and I just looked. And I was looking at the yard. I was looking at my family. I was just in this experience and just had this sense of gratefulness, just this sense of, man, I am so thankful for this reality in which we live. To be able to have this home, to be able to have this community, thinking about just, uh, we were telling the girls, we said, guys, this is just something we've always wanted. We have friends in our neighborhood. We have a place to walk. We have, you know, we have uh, trees in our backyard. We just, this is just so awesome. And it, it wasn't, you know, really, it, it was just a sense of just gratitude, just that sense of, man, I'm just so thankful in this moment. Sometimes I think we miss that opportunity to just stop, to just be thankful for what we have. And that can happen in times where we have more than we need. You can get to that place in times where you are in great need. Because in those moments, you recognize, God, thank you. Thank you for in these moments where I'm stressed out, where I feel anxiety, I know you will provide. I know you will. Through the family of God, through my relationships, through whatever we have, God, you will provide. And I can trust him in that. And that is such a huge gift, but sometimes we don't stop long enough to recognize it. Sometimes we're too much in a hurry. Sometimes we have places to go. Sometimes we just have so much to do that we fill our lives with that we miss those times of just stopping. The series has just been one of those moments. I was in a hurry, really, when I began my preaching calendar, and I thought, well, we'll go here, and we'll go here, and we'll go here, and we'll go here, and we'll get to this, and then we'll move on to this thing. And there was this moment that I just felt God saying, what if you just stopped? And I thought, what would it look like to just, just pause a little bit? Maybe we need to learn about that, because I'm not very good at it. I'm not good at stopping. I'm not good at having those days like that. I'm always in a rush and a hurry, like this morning. I felt like I get up here, and I just want to get going. I said, why would I just be nice just to stop and wouldn't it be nice just to pause 
So the series is really just teaching us that. Um, as I've been really honest about, um, as I've been studying and reading, I felt like I didn't practice Sabbath very well in my own life. And in fact, I just don't feel like I really know enough about it. I, I don't really understand where does Sabbath come from? And maybe there's some questions we need to begin to ask ourselves about this idea of Sabbath. Maybe that word itself is very foreign to us or feel like it belongs to somebody else or something else. But this gift of Sabbath, this idea of rest, comes from God. And as we're exploring in this series, we're seeing how did that come about? Where did this come from? And what does it have to teach us? And how can we apply this in our lives today? Because I think... As my friend Dan says, everybody knows they need rest. It's built into our rhythm. Our bodies tell us if we don't stop and rest, our bodies are going to make us rest. A job loss will make us rest. Some kind of tragedy in our lives will make us rest. And we will recognize, I need to stop. I need to pause. But what if we made it a rhythm? What if we made it just the same as walking and waking and breathing? That The idea of rest just became a rhythm in my life? What if it became a rhythm in your life to just stop, pause, breathe, rest, and practice the art of the Sabbath? And I have some thoughts. I, I think we'd have less stress, right? Probably, right? I, I think we'd have a whole lot less anxiety. I think we'd be a lot more grateful as people if we did that. I think we would be probably more aware of our surroundings and how we spend our time. I think we'd be on, more honest about the gifts of our lives. So let's learn it together. Because, man, I need more of that. It's kind of like when we think about, you know, what do we learn in church? I, well, I learned to love. Well, the world needs a lot more love. I learn about the reality of grace. The world needs a lot more grace. And here I learn about rest. Man, the world could use more rest. And I could use more rest. Last week we began to talk about where does this come from? Well, we went to the very beginning, to the book of Genesis, and we read these words. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty, darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. God saw that the light was good, and he separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. Now what's cool about this is as I read that, I always feel myself kind of leaning into reading it dramatically. I always find myself wanting to hear like James Earl Jones like reading that because it just has this sort of pattern to it, this sort of, uh, it just feel. doesn't it feel poetic? Doesn't it feel full of art? And it should. As we learned last week when we read this passage, the book of Genesis begins with these words that are actually a poem. And it's easy to miss that they're a poem because we have translated this from Hebrew into English. But even in the English, if you listen to it, you can hear there's a cadence here. You can hear a cadence and a pattern as the author begins to describe this act of creation. This cadence and pattern that the author writes with talks about things as in creation. 
He talks about things as an evening into morning. He talks about the first day and the second day and the third day. And it just sort of has this flow and this rhythm to it. In our Western mindset, we miss this idea of poem because we get so caught up on the idea of, well, is this talking about astronomy? Do I need to learn about how things are ordered there? That's not really what the poem's about. We think to ourselves, well, maybe this is about zoology. Is it about those that know? And it's not really about that at all as well. The author isn't describing zoology. The author isn't even describing anthropology and the study of humans and how we function and, and serve and what God wants for us in those areas. That's not really what it's about. And when we read it through that lens, when we try to apply sort of this Western mindset of that's what this is, this is a zoology or an astronomy or an anthropology book, we miss the point. This is an ancient Near East text. And like other ancient Near East stories, the author's intent is not how we got here or even when we got here, but why are we here? If anything you remember as we talk through things, especially texts like this, I, I really want you to hear this. Let's stop asking things that the text is not asking. It is not asking how we got here or when we got here, but why are we here? Who are we? Who is God? What is God like and what does God want for us? It's really incredible because this was written in a time where there were all sorts of questions. Uh, what was probably an oral tradition had begun to be written down because the people were asking questions. They had been exiled for their land. They had placed somewhere else, and they're looking around. And they're saying, who are we? Who are we as people? What makes us special? What makes us unique? What does God want for our lives? And so they begin to ask these questions. Other cultures ask similar questions all throughout history. So we find sort of all these interesting places um, where there are parallels, and some of them are incredibly obvious to this. So we see these other stories. We see this story. People, ancient people asking questions. Who are we? Why are we here? What does God want for us, and what is God like? As we find those parallels and those same questions, we don't ignore them. We lean into them. And so we ask good questions like, well, how is this story different than maybe some of the other stories we find that are asking similar questions and maybe even have some similar answers. How's it different? How is the, what is the author trying to help us understand? Why do these words matter to them? And how do they matter to our lives today? As we ask those questions, we carefully learn from ancient words like this. And one of the things that we learn is found in the last line of this poem on the metaphorical seventh day of creation. It says this, by the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing, so on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it, he rested from all the work of creating he had done. So remember, what's different about this? What's going on here that's unique? What is happening in the cadence, the pattern of this story that we're reading, this poem? God creates, it's evening, it's morning, the first day. God creates, it's evening, it's morning, it's the second day. God creates, it's evening, it's morning, it's the third day. God creates, it's evening, it's morning, it's the fourth day. Oh, and by the way, and then he says, it is good, what is here is good. He continues to create on the fifth day, it's evening, it's morning. The sixth day, creation, 
evening, morning, good. The sixth day. And then we get to the seventh day. God blessed the seventh day, made it holy, because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. And this word rest we talked about last week is so cool. Comes from the Hebrew word Shabbat, which found its way into Greek, eventually into English, which is why we have this unique word Sabbath. And what the word looks like, it looks like the author is saying, well, God simply rested. And that would already be a completely unique concept. This God is already a strange God. He seems to enjoy his creation. He, he seems to love the things that he's created. He seems to want good for that creation. That's a unique concept already in some of the ancient, ancient Near East literature. But then this God does something completely strange. He rested. He seems tired. He apparently took a nap. You look at it and go, well, I don't understand. Isn't he God? Isn't he powerful? Didn't he just take, like, rip apart things and make day and night? Didn't he just bring all the chaos into order? Like, why does he need to rest? Doesn't he have all this power? Apparently he can make himself a sort of mattress and just take a nap. He has the power to do that. But what's really cool is as we dig into this, and as I've done some of the research here, it doesn't really look like the, the author's saying that he simply rested. Some ancient Jewish rabbis taught that God, in his blessing, created again. But instead of creating something wrapped up in time, instead of creating something out of space, and created, instead of creating something out of matter, he created something completely different. That he created peace, serenity, and tranquility. I love that the Jewish rabbis offer this idea that these commentators say, what if instead of us just sitting back and thinking, well, God just needed a nap, what if we say God was still busy creating? And what if that seventh day, because there is no morning, there is no evening, what if that is an eternal reality that God is continuing to create? What if God is saying, I'm continuing to create rest, I'm continuing to create tranquility, I'm continuing to create ways of peace for you. Would you just lean on into that and experience it with God? What a huge gift. What an incredible reality for us. So in the first six days, God does one kind of creating, and here he does something entirely different. Now, there is so much that we are going to discover as we continue to understand research to explore the Sabbath, but the implication is that God created rest. Now, what's cool about this is that the lessons from this impacted religious thought was eventually codified into a day of religious significance known as the Sabbath. So you see what happens is this word, I love this, I love when this happens, a word that meant a sort of act or an action begins to be codified into practice, and that word begins to have meaning, and it begins to become a time and a day. Many Jewish people today continue to celebrate the Sabbath. Maybe you also have heard of Seventh-day Adventists. This Christian denomination also adheres to a strict observance of Sabbath worship and rest. And this really should lead us maybe to some questions. And we're going to look at them as we study in this series. Sorry, my straw was not working. We're going to look at them as we um, research this in this series. But there are some questions that I want to ask. And these are just a few of the questions I'm wrestling with. I asked Dan about some questions maybe he's wrestling with. And as we go through the series, text me, message me. Say, Ryan, I've got a question about the Sabbath. Maybe we could explore it in the series. And if we don't, I bet we'll come back to this at some point. We'll ask those questions again. 
So here's some of the questions. See if these uh, resonate with you. As followers of Jesus, are we expected to strictly observe the Sabbath? If so, why do we worship on Sunday and not on Saturday? Here's a good one. Is it okay just to nap, to catch up on work, go to a game? I'm going to the Colts game today, so apparently I'm breaking Sabbath. Is yard work okay? Is getting, is getting up with a blower on your roof and risking your life to clean out your gutter, is that okay on Sabbath? That's not okay, apparently, to Jeff and Cheryl. I don't think for the Sabbath, I think they're just worried about me. Yes. Kurt, you're in charge if something happens. <laughs> Here's another one. But am I supposed to be doing church things? Like, am I supposed to be going to church, praying, reading the Bible? If something comes up and I skip church, am I in trouble? When Ryan sends me a text and says, hey, I missed you, is he guilting me? You've all gotten that text and you're like, is he, does he feel like, is he judging me? Now, you know me, I'm not judging you. I genuinely did miss you. I mean that. I'm serious about that. If you ever get a text from me, I'm not like, you missed the Sabbath? I'm going to have to have a time. We're going to have a conversation. We're going to have some coffee. I'm not going to do that. But I wonder, am I doing enough church things? Am I, am I doing it? Am I honoring the Sabbath? So we're exploring these questions during the series. It's going to take time to do that. That's why we're going all the way to Thanksgiving with it. But one question that I know I can answer is one we've already answered and the one that we talked about last week. Like God, do I need to rest? Even if we know that that word isn't necessarily that God took a nap, God didn't create pillows and sheets on the seventh day. Maybe, I don't know. But am I just supposed to lay down taking that? Do I, do I need it? Again, the answer we already know is yes. I know this because I'm still thinking about napping. So hold back your yawn or don't. Maybe we need some holy yawning taking place in this space today to remind ourselves of the need for rest. But as you yawn, as you're yawning, I saw it. I know you did. As you're, as you're yawning, as you're thinking about a pillow, as you're thinking about taking a nap in your most comfortable bed in the entire world, lean into this with me. Our culture of hurry, our culture of busyness leads us, we know this, this is not rocket science, to anxiety, noise, and stress, right? God wants for us, and we know we need margin, quiet, and the relief that we find in trusting something other than our own work. Right? I need to know that I can trust something outside of myself. And that's really what I want to explore today. The art of the Sabbath found in trust. Found in God's provision. So to do that, we're going to look at a story in the book of Exodus, that like Genesis 1, forms the foundation upon which we can build a structure of the theology and practice of Sabbath. So what we're doing, and what we're going to see over the next couple weeks, is really what I want to begin to first do, is help us to think about it. 
we're all building theological houses, and, and we're always, you know, sometimes we're tearing down walls of those houses, sometimes we're tearing down the roofs, we're kind of rebuilding those things. We're, we're always rethinking the context and the understanding of how we understand our theology because uh, it's a work in progress through our lives. But sometimes what we want to do is we want to sit back and we want to say, okay, so I kind of understand what that looks like. I see what the house color should be. I understand how to place this in here. I know, I know the work I need to do on it. But the best thing we can do is begin to build the foundation first. I need a foundation for why I understand the way that I'm going to practice this. Now, does that mean that that foundation is right for everybody else? Not necessarily. Not necessarily. People come to different places in their foundation, but I want our community to have a foundation of theology so we can build the practice of the Sabbath into our community and into our lives. So let's go to Exodus 16, an important text that helps us to develop this. Exodus 16 begins like this. The whole Israelite community set out from Elam came to the desert of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai, on the 15th day of the second month after they had come out of Egypt. In the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The Israelites said to them, If only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food that we wanted. But you have brought us out into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. Now, if you remember, we'll just give a little background here. The book of Exodus is telling the story of God rescuing the Israelites from slavery in Egypt to a place that they called the promised land. And sometimes I think we have to think about that again. They're being rescued from slavery in Egypt to the promised land filled with milk and honey, yet these people, when we reach this point in the story, the rescue had already taken place, the journey had already begun, but they begin to complain. And they look around in the journey on the way to the promised land and say, it was so much better back there, back in the land of slavery, where we had pots filled with meat. We ate all the food. No, you did not. <laughs> we ate all the food we wanted. But you have brought us to starve us here and to bring us death. They began to complain. They're like teenagers. I heard that. The desert, and here, here's what's interesting. The desert or the wilderness is this area between Egypt and the promised land. I've talked about this before. It's the land between it's the place where they find themselves with their past behind them and a hopeful, hopeful, future, excuse me, hopeful future in front of them, right? And we've all been there. We know what the land between sort of feels like. We know that it's this place where we know where we've come from. We know what that looks like. We have a hope and dreams for our lives and mind, but we're sort of stuck here in the in-between, and that, the in-between is what we call life, <laughs> This is where you do the living. You're always in the in-between. You're not yet to where you think you want to be, and you're, you're not back where you came from. You're in the middle of it. In the middle of it, it's easy to get some mistakes. It's easy to begin to complain. It's easy in the in-between to, to, to think too much about the future, and it's easy in the land between to get too focused on the past. 
It's too easy in the land between to think that, sure, nostalgia, that's where I belong. Or it's too easy to get in the land between and forget that you're building towards that future. And you need to work in the here and now and live as if those days are ahead. Into this reality, this grumbling, this misunderstanding of what can happen in the land between, God spoke. It says, Then the Lord said to Moses, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. The people are to go out each day and gather enough for that day. In this way, I will test them and see whether they will follow my instructions. Now listen to the pattern. On the sixth day, they are to prepare what they bring in. That is to be twice as much as they gather on other days. So Moses and Aaron said to all the Israelites, In the evening, you will know that it was the Lord who brought you out of Egypt. And in the morning, you will see the glory of God, because he has heard your grumbling against him. Who are we that you should grumble against us? Moses also said, You will know that it was the Lord when he gives you meat to eat in the evening, all the bread you want in the morning. Because he has heard your grumbling against him. Who are we? You are not grumbling against us, but against the Lord. Then Moses told Aaron, Say to the whole entire Israelite community, Come before the Lord, for he has heard your grumbling. I don't think I ever realized how weird that text is right there. What if we started out a call to worship like that one week? Come before the Lord, for he hears your grumbling. Come before the Lord today, for he hears the way you walked in this morning. Ugh, I'm so tired of this week. Good. Come before the Lord with your grumbling. Come before the Lord because he does hear you in that. That's awesome. God can handle my complaints? I like that, God. I like that. So come before the Lord. He has heard you. While Aaron was speaking to the whole Israelite community, they looked toward the desert, and there was the glory of the Lord appearing in the cloud. The Lord said to Moses, so listen to this. I mean, he repeats this. I have heard the grumbling of the Israelites. Tell them, at twilight you will eat meat, and in the morning you will be filled with bread. Then you will know I am the Lord, your God. And in this moment, God provided for them. It go, the story goes on, it says, That evening, quail came and covered the camp. And in the morning, there was a layer of dew around the camp. And when the dew was gone, thin flakes like frost on the ground appeared on the desert floor. So man, they get, they get quail and frosted flakes. <laughs> and when the Israelites saw it, they said to each other, I love, now listen, I love this. What is it? For they did not know what it was. So, th now think about this. See, this is the problem. Moses and Aaron get up and they say, God heard you, and here's what God is going to do. Then God provides and people go, well, what is it? He just told you. You were so busy, they're still grumbling. Oh, what's he going on about up there? He's probably telling us we're not supposed to be arguing with God about stuff. I, Moses again, here you out in the desert again. We're out here, blah, 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 blah. They're not listening. 
They're not looking. They're not paying attention. And so they come to this moment. They look at how God has provided, and they go, what is it? God provided. They didn't understand it. And here's the deal. How often has God provided, and you were too busy to see or understand what was happening? Man. How often has God provided, and you were so stressed out, you were so filled with anxiety, you were so worried about something else, that you didn't even see what God was doing. This is literally my story during the pandemic. I mean, it is hard to lead a church any time of day. It is really hard to lead when I couldn't see my friends, when I felt like we're just trying to figure this thing out. And what happened was, this is amazing, God provided over and over and over again. But sometimes I was too busy. Sometimes I was too worried. Sometimes I was filled with too much anxiety to see what God was doing. We're entering another season where this is really a new beginning for the church. We just sat and we began the budgeting season. We're putting pieces together. This will probably be the lowest budget in the history of Southeast non-pandemic years. That's a great thing. We are lean and we are mean. And we can make some choices and decisions. We're just going to push. And I said, well, I don't know how this is all going to work out because we're gonna, we got some savings we can pull from. We can do some things. But God's going to provide because God has always provided. If we continue to trust in the Lord, what he's calling us to do, he will provide. And the question is, will we see it? I don't want to get to a place where God has provided for us as a church and we don't see it because we're too busy and we're not looking. Let's celebrate. We could have just gone on. We could have rushed this morning. We could have said, wow, it was great worship. All right, let's move on to the sermon this morning instead of recognizing that God has provided people in our lives who are serving and contributing to our community in our life of worship. Let's stop. Let's smell the roses. Let's see what God is doing. And then it's okay. If we look around and we don't know what's happening, ask good questions. What is it? If we say, I can't tell what God has done here, but God is doing something here, let's start asking good questions. Let's go, well, what is it? What is happening? What, what, what is it that's taking place? And I think we're going to learn something. Well, Moses helped them interpret this experience. Moses said to them, and I don't know, did he say this deadpan? Or, or did he say this mad? Or did he just say it matter of fact? It is the bread the Lord has given you to eat. I don't know. Did he say it like a preacher? Did he look at them? Was, was, he, was he first? Was he ironic? Was he like, it's the bread, guys. <laughs> I told you about the bread yesterday. It's the bread. How many times do I have to tell you? Or it is the bread the Lord has given you. Make it up yourself, whatever you want. Now listen, though, to the instructions They were given, and this is going to tie the Sabbath. This is going to close us up for where we're going here. This is what the Lord has commanded. Everyone is to gather as much as they need. Take an omer for each person you have in your tent. The Israelites did as they were told. Some gathered much, some gathered little. And when they measured it by the omer, the one who gathered much did not have too much, and the one who gathered little did not have too little. Everyone had gathered just as much as they needed. Don't worry about the measurements. Don't, you can look up in your study Bible later what an omer is. But the point here is they gathered just as much as they needed. Everybody was satisfied. 
Everybody's needs were met. Then Moses said to them, no one, and here's the key, no one is to keep any of it until, or no one is to keep any of it until morning. Finish it. Don't try to keep it. You have enough and enough. I feel like it's like Willy Wonka. Enough is enough. An everlasting gobstopper is enough. You don't need an ever everlasting, everlasting gobstopper. You don't even need two. You have enough as it is. However, Surprise, surprise. Some of them paid no attention to Moses. They kept part of it until morning, but it was full of maggots and it began to smell. So Moses was angry with them. So some of them didn't follow the instructions. They shifted away from trust. But listen to this. Others trusted. They understood. They waited until the sixth day to gather twice as much. And here's the question. On that sixth day that they gathered it and they held on to it, they left it, would it be full of mold? Would it be full of maggots? Can I trust God in this? Each morning, everyone gathered as much as they needed. When the sun grew hot, it melted away. On the sixth day, they gathered twice as much, two omers for each person. And the leaders of the community came and reported this to Moses. He said to them, this is what the Lord had commanded. Tomorrow is to be a day of Sabbath rest. A holy Sabbath to the Lord. So bake what you want to bake. Boil what you want to boil. Save whatever is left and keep it until the morning. So they saved it until morning as Moses commanded. It did not stink. (laughs) It did not get maggots in it. Eat it today, Moses said, because today is a Sabbath to the Lord. You will not find any of it on the ground today. So now we can shift. We can see how does this apply to future generations? How does this begin to build the foundation of theology that we need to practice the Sabbath? Six days you're to gather it, but on the seventh day, the Sabbath. So now you see what's happening here? Okay, we have the codification of the idea of a Sabbath rest. Okay, now we're seeing the law getting put into practice. Some practicality here that goes along with the practice of the way. We hear the word that now comes in, so now we can tie that into this idea. Six days you are to gather, but on the seventh day of the Sabbath, there will not be any. Nevertheless, some of the people went out on the seventh day to gather it. (laughs) Imagine their disappointment, but they found none. Then the Lord said to Moses, how long will you refuse to keep my commands and my instructions? Bear in mind that the Lord has given you the Sabbath. That is why on the sixth day he gives you bread for two days. Everyone is to stay where they are on the seventh day. No one is to go out. So the people rested on the seventh day. So in the same familiar rhythm of the creation poem that gives us the theological truth that God creates peace and tranquility and rest, We now see in this story that God provided. With six days of effort, God gave them seven days of provision. And it was a lesson that they would take with them even when they no longer needed bread to survive. Exodus 16, 31, the people of Israel called the bread manna. It was white with a coriander seed and tasted like wafers made with honey, so nothing like frosted flakes. Now, this is cool, though. The word manna is really cool because it's not a word. This is awesome. I love Hebrew. It's not a word. It's a question. 
It literally means, you ready for this? What is it? <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> they would look at it and they would ask the same question to get the same answer. What is it? God providing enough for peace, tranquility, and rest. God providing a day of rest for you. That's what it is. So every time a kid got up in the morning and said, what is it? They'd say, rest and tranquility and peace. Mommy, Daddy, what's for breakfast? It's the Sabbath. Rest, peace, and tranquility. That's what it is. That's what it is. So what about when it runs out? What about when they move on and they no longer have the manna to look at physically to ask, what is it? Well, when the story ends, listen, they will remember because of this. Moses said, this is what the Lord has commanded. Take an omer of manna and keep it for generations to come. So they can see the bread I gave you to eat in the wilderness when I brought you out of Egypt. So brilliant. This is an oral tradition uh, culture. So they keep this omer of manna with them that makes no sense in any other place, some kind of frosted flake mix that God created and provided. And somebody's going to walk up and go, what is it? And somebody says, I'll tell you what it is. That's the story of when God provided it's not just a story, it's a lesson for you. So you understand that God has provided and given you a day of peace and rest and tranquility. Isn't that cool? Now listen, there's a key word in here. Generations. Take an omer of manna and keep it, not for yourself, for the generations to come. Cheryl, you see what I'm saying here, don't you? If we practice the Sabbath the right way, we will literally break the broken, busy cycle that causes so much anger, frustration, and sadness. We, we will create for Lee. Nope. <laughs> it's fine. Daddy is there too. We will create for our children. We will create for the next generation a pattern. Because we learned a broken pattern. We learned a busyness, an anxiety that we shouldn't have. The next generation does not need that garbage in their lives. They need to learn about peace and rest and tranquility. Let's give that to them. So let's go on. So Moses said to Aaron, take a jar Put an omer of manna in it, and then place it before the Lord to be kept for generations to come. As the Lord commanded Moses, Aaron put the manna with the tablets of the covenant law so that it might be preserved. The Israelites ate manna 40 years until they came to a land that was settled. They ate manna until they reached the border of Canaan. Now the Sabbath for us is like the land between. It's not the week that was, or the week that is to come. It's a time in between where we get to reflect on the goodness of God. During the Sabbath, you don't wish for your past. You don't obsessively worry about your future. You rest in the grace of this moment and learn from God that his faithfulness in the here and now. And to do that, you reflect on your trust. 
and in how God has provided and will continue to provide. Now, I have to tell you something. We're not going to go outside today, and we're not going to find frosted flakes out in the field out there. We're not going to find something to put in a jar and keep for generations to come. But do we need to do that? I, I think we do. I, I think we need something to remind ourselves of the need for rest, I know as a parent that I need to provide that for my children so that they can understand, so that they can break the cycle that I've been taught way too much in my life. I need something to remember this by. So here's what I want us to do. I want us to think about some practices that we can put in place. So I want you to take a few moments, and we're going to do this right now, and then, and then we'll close. But this is important. I want to make sure we do this. I want you to take a few moments and I want you to reflect on God's provision in your life. I want you to ask, what is it? Stop, just, just here. I don't know, I don't know where you are. I don't, I don't know if you're on a mountaintop experience right now. I don't know if you're in a really deep valley. But in both of those places, God is providing. And you need to be asking, what is it? How has God provided in a way you could have missed if you had stayed too busy to see it? And in reflection of that, how can you continue to trust in God? Now, if you don't have your phone out already, take a phone out. Everybody's got a phone. If you don't have a phone, write on your finger or something. I don't know. But try, if you've got a phone, take a phone out. iPad, something. And pull up some kind of note-taking app if you just want to, even if you just want to text yourself. Go ahead and ju just, just text yourself a message. So note-taking, reminder, something like that. And I want you to ask these questions. And I want you to begin to write down some answers. As you look at this last week, how has God provided? You don't need to overthink it, just a simple question. In what way have you seen God provide? It doesn't have to be a physical thing. It can be an emotional, it can be a friendship. It can be just something that happened that you're like, man. Now, here's what's cool about this. This doesn't have to be an overly spiritual thing. Remember, God is the creator of all of this. Anything that has come into your life that has blessed you and in a good way is a gift. So this doesn't have to be one of those moments that you say, I have to specifically sit back and think about the way that God did this. Just in what way have you seen provision in your life? How have you been provided for? Now, it's even to advance that a little bit, this could be as simple as, you know what, I have a good job. God gave me some people around in my life and his good creation that has developed into a place of good work. Maybe it was just sitting and you're, you're cleaning off your hammock and you're resting in that moment. And you're just like, man, God, God has given me a place of rest and goodness. You look down the street and you see your friend's house and you say, man, God has given me the gift of friendship. So I want you to ask those questions. I want you to begin to write that down. Now, as the week turns into the weekend on Saturday, as we go into Saturday and Sunday, 
I want you to carve this time out again. So if you're able to, you can do it now, you can do it later. I want you to set a reminder to do this. At some point, Friday evening into Saturday, going into Sunday, I want you to set a reminder that you're going you're gonna to have it ask you the same question again. What provision have I seen in my life this week? Isn't of my own making again, right? It's not of my own. This is something outside of myself where I have seen provision. So when you get to that time, I want you to sit quietly in it this week. I want you to reflect how God has provided and I want you to learn how that teaches you trust. And I want you to continue to do that week after week after week, and if possible, at the same time each week. And I want you to develop a rhythm and a cadence for reflection on that trust. Now, here's what's cool, and then we'll close. We do this every week as a community. We gather together as a community and we sing about the gift of God's grace and his love and his mercy. We gather together and we look across the aisle at friendships that God has given us. You didn't walk into this room expecting that you would just be solo and that you would just be independent. You didn't walk into this room thinking, I won't find people who love me and build community. If you did do that, I'm sorry. You entered a church. You entered a place where you will find community and love. That's what this is about. God has provided for us a community of grace and love and mercy. So we get to sing about that, how God has provided for us. We get to do that. How cool is that? That's amazing. We do that every week. Now, find a place to do that yourself where you sit in quiet and you reflect rhythm, cadence, provision of God. And I am telling you something is going to change about your life if you begin to do that. In that time of reflection, meditation, and practice, you and I will discover trust, this most significant part of the art of the Sabbath. Let's pray. God, we are so thankful to learn about rest, to learn about peace, to learn. We don't even have to make it that you created it for us. But God, the problem is we so often lean away from it and not into it. So God, just help us this week to begin to develop this rhythm, this cadence. Help us to uh, create this space in our lives. Help our technology to work in such a way that it reminds us. Help us to not push snooze on those reminders, but to stop in that 5, 10, 15, 20-minute time period to just reflect and practice Sabbath and practice how you have provided and how we can trust. And it's your name that we pray today. Amen.